If you'll join me in prayer. Almighty Father, as we come before you on this Sabbath day to investigate your word, we seek you and we seek your will in our lives daily. When things get dark, we look to you. We get encouragement by your words, by the things that Yasha brought us and the words he taught us, words that uplift us, words that are so important, as if he were here. We pray, Almighty Yahweh, now that this would be a, a time of uplift, a time of seeking you and being guided by your word. For we know that time is coming when Yahshua himself will be coming and then the work will be done. So we pray that you'll continue to watch over us. Be with those that have special needs, those that are sick or those that have trials in their lives, that you would give them the answer through your spirit. And now we pray that you'll do this in Yahshua's name. Hallelujah. You may be seated. You know, it's been said that learning a language without ever having spoken a language, without ever having spoken words, is an amazing feat. Such a mind-boggling effort that only children, only infants with their sponge-like minds can accomplish it. How do babies first learn to speak? Ever thought about that? Well, by imitation. It's how we learn lots of things. How, how we learn most things. By example. By watching others, they learn what words mean. Observing why they used a certain word or words and then file it away for future reference when it's needed. It's an amazing how it works, really, especially with abstract ideas and concepts where there's nothing to look at, nothing to say, this is what this word means. It's all, it's all up, uh, you know, in uh, ethereal uh, understanding. How does a child learn words when there's nothing there to see, when there's no immediate feedback? One of my grandsons, I remember, learned the word no pretty quickly. It's probably because he heard it a lot. But when it came to yes, that was a little more of a feat. And he said he used uh, pronunciation something like yetha. Yetha. In the same way, our behavior is learned primarily through interaction with others. We get feedback from others. We learn from others. Depending on the one being emulated, the result can be either good or it can be bad. But here's the real danger. When the influence is so subtle, you're not aware of it. You're not even realizing what's happening. My best high school buddy and I had some pretty good times together. We even studied the scriptures together. But after high school, things changed. He changed. I don't think I changed that much, but uh, he got in with a bad crowd, and his whole attitude changed. Even the way he spoke became coarse, and I was kind of surprised. In the world, sin will nearly always corrupt good. 
Rarely will good ever change evil. But a good kid in a bad crowd, and you'll almost never see the crowd pick up good, wholesome traits. And that's because the natural human tendency is to gravitate to sin. That's how criminal gangs grow. They do evil things. We see it in the ever-coarsening of the society and the love of many waxing cold. The Bible says it was going to happen. Maybe you have begun noticing signs for customers in stores and restaurants. There is something like this. We treat our staff with respect and courtesy. Please do the same. Now, 10 years ago, you wouldn't see signs like that. People had respect for others. That's just a small example of the way we're going in our culture. Once treating strangers with respect was implicit. People didn't need to be reminded. Airlines remove passengers regularly because they won't follow the rules. Brawls at sporting events are becoming commonplace. And I'm talking about the fans. Shopper fistfights over merchandise are becoming regular fare out there. I guess maybe they should call it Black Eye Friday. In Matthew 24, Yahshua warned us of what we see today. Verse 10, and then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another because, and because iniquity shall abound because of sin, evil, the love of many shall wax cold. It builds on itself and becomes worse and worse. Corruption in society is causing many to react out of frustration. Anarchy is as close as a nudge away when society degrades as far as it has. Jeremiah 17.9 nailed it. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Take the restraints off and anything goes. Remove the police and you have mass looting. Hoodlums with no respect for the Eighth Commandment, let alone for their fellow man and his businesses. Life today is a strange struggle to navigate through hostility and maintain the fruits of the Spirit. We have to keep reminding ourselves we're different. We have to be different. Paul said, I die daily, 1 Corinthians 15, 31. Each day was a battle with his own nature. He, he was out there amongst all the pagans. Wherever he went, all those assemblies he started, Corinth, one of the worst, um, Philippi, all of these places where he started assemblies, needed Yahweh's word. It was really uh, corrupt, corruption firsthand. Each day was a battle with his own nature to do right in a world that had turned left. Each day he had to overcome the pull to be like everyone else. And that's hard, especially for young people. to Overcome those pulls of friends that have no regard for the Bible should they be friends, I guess is the question. Sometimes you just get tired of the battle. But strength comes from a close walk with Yahshua, and he showed the end from the beginning. We know the end. You know, it's like you're getting a book, and you want to wonder what this book is all about, and you flip to the end. Oh, and once you know the end, the rest fits all together into a cohesion. 
John 3.19, there is a natural hatred for good in the human heart. Our sinful culture is turning increasingly against Bible believers because darkness hates light. Darkness hates light. And the more it embraces iniquity, the more it detests those who resist it. Let's read it. And this is the condemnation that sin, I'm sorry, that light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were what? Were evil. They don't like to be shown that what they're doing is wrong. They don't want to be reminded because that piques their conscience. And everybody has a conscience, whether they like to admit it or not. For everyone that does evil hates the light, neither comes to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that does truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in Elohim. Imitation is a serious downside of human nature when it's bad, and we are basically imitators. Fads drive the culture. Trends in dress, trends in hairstyle, trends in speech are popular because the majority are hooked on the latest fashion, the latest thing to be like everyone else. That's why we humans behave in commonly human ways. But this desire to imitate is strong even in the animal world. Animals will imprint characteristics of those other animals that are around. You see uh, a duck with a cat because they grew up together. And you think, how can this happen? Your dog really does start to mimic the way you are when he follows your habits and does your way. I mean, I've seen it in my own, my own pet. All I have to do is rattle the leech, leash and barley is ready to go outside and bark at the world. So he just, he knows. He knows when I put on my coat what's happening and he jumps at the door. Human beings imprint those they like and admire, sometimes especially as youths. They have their heroes. Not only do we imitate willfully, we imitate, imitate unintentionally. This week I came out of a store with one of those sticky Xmas musics going on on the PA and I started humming out, wait a minute, <laughs> what's wrong with me? It's sticky and it sticks to you and that's how sin is. When I lived around my wife's rather large family of siblings, I started to pick up on some of their communication skills. <laughs> you would sit at the dinner, dinner table and, you know, when you got two or three conversations going on among a dozen people, everybody gets louder and louder and louder, you know. So I picked up on that. We moved away, and I was still that way. My brother came to our house one time. He said, why are you talking so loud? I just realized, yeah, I got this from somewhere. Didn't even realize it. Have you ever lived in a part of the country where there's unique ethnic accents or peculiar jargon in their speech like Pennsylvania Dutch? or Cajun, or hardcore Scandinavian. You'd begin to pick up on the local lingo. You know, yeah, sure, you betcha. And again, what is really significant is how we pick up behavior unintentionally. It just happens. Our mind is like computers, and we pick it up. And the more we're immersed in a certain environment, 
the more it rubs off on us. Proverbs 22, 24 says, speaks of this this situation in relation to those with uh, bad attitudes and nasty ways. It says, make no friendship with an angry man or with a furious man. You shall not go. Why? Because inevitably it's going to rub off. Lest thou learn his ways and get a snare to thy soul. This is the key reason Yahweh had to get rid of the evil ones in the land of Canaan. He knew if they were allowed to live among them, exactly what happened, happened. He knew, but they didn't eliminate them all, did they? And what did they do? They corrupted their worship. And that corruption has gone all the way down to our day, picking up the evil, the uh, heathen ways of worship. And not just worship, but other ways too. Exodus twenty three twenty seven. I will send my fear before thee, and will destroy all the people to whom thou shalt come, and I will make all your enemies turn their backs unto thee. Why? Verse 32. You shall make no covenant with them, nor with their mighty ones. They shall not dwell in the land, lest they make you sin against me. For if they serve their mighty ones, I will surely be a snare unto you. If you serve their mighty ones, I should say. In 11, I just mentioned talking about 11, is a good example of subtle influence for good or for evil. 11 infuses the whole lump, the whole loaf, within a reasonable amount of time. And Yasha used that analogy, showing that it works slowly, imperceptibly, but the results are pervasive. The dough is permeated completely. We read in Luke 12.1. Why did he say, say, beware of the leaven of hypocrisy? So that you would not become like them. Hypocrites. It only takes a companion with wicked thoughts and lifestyle to gradually lead a young person to the same kind of life. It only takes allowing ourselves to watch, read, or listen to things that are sinful to become insensitive to those things. A single movie or book filled with filth can infect the mind and lead to the desire for a deeper acquaintance with evil. You know, once it's in there, it's in there. It doesn't come out. can't do a redo on bad things you see, bad things you hear. It's going to be in there. Best thing to do is don't let it get in there. Once the corruption is in our minds, it's there forever. In Proverbs 4.23, Solomon says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. He's saying, guard your mind and your thoughts, because they will determine how you live your life. Well, just as we're not always cognizant of the way we're being affected in our lives by the world or being influenced, We're not always aware of how we're influencing others. For the believer, this is especially important. To parents, it is absolutely critical. How many children will do something improper with the excuse, well, my dad does it. It's what dad does, not always what he says that carries the weight. It's because the kids are watching, the children are watching how dad 
uses these things, how dad applies these things, how when dad says something, does he do it himself? And that dilutes it completely if he does. Because our children want to be like their parents, at least early on. They get into the teen years and they want to be themselves. And, you know, nothing wrong with that, but as long as they have a good foundation, that's great. They see your heart for more than by what you say, but by what you do. And they're going to imitate what you do. Parents need to be constantly aware that they are teaching by their actions. That means they got to live the word they're trying to teach as well. Every day. And when they do, the children learn good lessons. The children become strong in their faith. And that's what they're going to remember most. This extends to the world in general. For a believer, here's an important admonition. As you watch the world, its eyes are watching you. How have you thought about that much? You as a believer and the influence you're having. This will be even more critical as we near Yasha's return. When events really ramp up, more eyes will be opened and they're going to be looking around for truth. You may not even be aware of it, but you are one giant billboard for the truth. Others are listening to what you say. They're watching your reaction to life's circumstances. Well, this guy's a believer. How does he handle this? What does he think about it? How does he act? And they're watching your reaction. And they're making judgments about this way of life that we call the truth of Almighty Yahweh. How many times have we heard people criticize someone by saying, yeah, and they're supposed to be so religious. I've even said it myself when I've watched some who, you know, we used to call super Christians and some of the things they do. And I look at myself, do I do those things too? Well, newsflash, the old saying that your life may be the only Bible some will ever read is very true. You preach and teach sometimes without saying a word. People notice even when you are oblivious yourself to the signals you're sending out. First Thessalonians 1, Paul is reviewing the influence the people of Thessalonica were having on the world. And you became imitators of us and of the master when you received the message with joy that comes from the Holy Spirit, despite great affliction. As a result, you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For from you, the message of the master has echoed forth, not just in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place reports of your faith in Elohim have spread, so that we do not need to say anything. I'm reading out of the New English translation, which is uh, pretty accurate and pretty, pretty forthcoming. For people everywhere report how you welcomed us and how you turned to Elohim from idols to serve the living and true Elohim and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Yahshua, our deliverer, from the coming wrath. Even this assembly was making an, an impact in their world because of how they accepted the truth. You don't need to say a word, but you're teaching by your very actions. Do you participate when the conversation among peers turns raunchy, or do you turn away from it? They're watching you. 
Do you return insult for insult when someone gets nasty? Snap back when criticized. They're watching you. Do you defend the scriptures when someone goes on the attack? They're watching you. Do you do things like borrow items from the workplace and still have them years later? A church uh, of 2,000 people did an armistice, an amnesty, I should say, on pilferage, violations of the Eighth Commandment. And the pastor put a bin in the back of the, the church there, and if you had taken something, maybe not even intentionally, but still had it and it wasn't yours, from the workplace or from the church or whatever, nobody will say anything. Just bring it back and stick it in the, in the tub. He was amazed what he found, how much he found. Again, may not have been intentional, but people forget. You know, we're so busy around here building things and fixing things and so forth, and sometimes my tools get borrowed. And sometimes the only way I get them back is to go buy a new one. And that happens quite a bit. It's either that or I can't remember why I put it either. So, But anyway, that's, uh, that's just human nature. Do you compromise on the Sabbath or holy days? You know, people are watching you. Do the pleasures of the world dominate your life? People are watching and they're judging. Joshua said in Matthew 5.16, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And that's how we teach, by the good works we do. I remember a summer job I had in school, working uh, on a crew, a highway crew. And uh, several of the guys, I worked with about, I don't know, half a dozen guys. And uh, they were talking about things that I didn't like. They were talking about... uh, some woman, you know, have you ever seen her, you know? Boy, without getting into it. And one of them said, I love my wife. And I remember that 50 years, yeah, 50 years later. This guy stood up against the crowd, and that had an impact on me. I don't know how many it did them. He didn't want any, of, any part of it, and he told what he thought of it. And no doubt... It got them to thinking too. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. In the verse previous, Joshua talked about lighting a candle and putting it on a candlestick. When you committed your way, your life this way, this faith, this truth once delivered to the saints, you metaphorically light a candle. And it's out there figuratively, burning for all to see. That's something you got to remember. Those that turn away from the truth or get lackadaisical, they get wishy-washy about things, they don't realize they're also teaching. They're also teaching others how important or not important, unimportant, this walk is. It's not just you. When you come into the way of truth, you're teaching others It's about you and others that need to hear the truth. Relatives, friends, acquaintances, others, they're being influenced by the light you're giving off or the lack of it. Even young people can be a light to their friends and the world 
Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.12, Let no man despise your youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. It's a tall order, but that's what we're, we bought into when we accepted the truth. Titus 2.7, In all things, showing yourself a pattern of good works, in doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, and sincerity. Be an example to others. Show them by your walk that there's a difference between right and wrong. That's getting pretty rare, becoming pretty rare in our culture, difference between right and wrong. Oh, I'll just break into a store and grab what I want. There's something wrong with that? I deserve it. I mean, all sorts of rationalizations people can use. Yeah, there's something wrong with that, and one day you'll pay for it unless you repent. Be an example to others. This world needs it. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Let your life speak volumes. Walk uprightly, and you will silence your critics. But sanctify Yahweh Elohim in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Messiah. For it is better if the will of Elohim be so that you suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing, certainly. For Messiah also has once suffered for sin, the just for the unjust, that he might bring up us to Elohim, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. What does it matter in the long run? What does it matter when you're facing Yahshua? When your life is over, the record of your life is permanently sealed. You can't change it. You can't go back. What's it going to matter then? How you lived. It'll matter extremely a lot. Your example is key, even in your marital relationship. You're a witness to your spouse in your marriage. First Peter 3 1. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if, notice this, if any obey not the word, talking about the spouse who doesn't, doesn't obey or even believe, that they may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. While they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. Now we're not just talking about talk. Conversation is anastrophe, and it means conduct, behavior, manner of life. I remember a a believing widow who told us that uh, sometimes the only thing I could do to convince my husband was just to be the best wife I could be. He would think, boy, I really have something here. It must mean a lot to follow this way. Maybe maybe I should change. As you show your mate by your life, you lead, you become a leader for truth. He'll follow you or she'll follow you. Leaders must also live righteous lives. Why did Israel turn so often from Yahweh 
because her kings were so often wicked. That is one reason Yahweh did not want Israel to have kings like the nations. He knew it was a slippery slope. He knew what man is like. He knew what power does. He knew that the government of judges was the best because they judge by Yahweh's word and not by their own dictates and by their own commands, caveats and all that. Second Chronicles 21.5, Jehoram, the son of King Jehoshaphat, became king of Judah upon his father's death. Jehoshaphat was a good king. Jehoram was not. And this is what you find all the way through, good king, bad king. What really amazes me is you can have a really good king and a really bad son king, S-O-N king. How does that happen? How does that happen? How did David have the family he had um, because of what he did? Things turned south after he uh, committed his sins and his life was never the same. His children, never the same. Some of the things that they did, unbelievable. Yet, there again, we imitate, we learn, we pattern after others. So anyway, this uh, Jehoram, son of King Jehoshaphat, uh, when Jehoram became king, he immediately murdered his six brothers. So he would eliminate the competition for leadership. I guess that would do it. He was evil in the tradition of kings, Israel's king Ahab, husband of the notorious Jezebel. Verse 6 explains why. Jehoram was 30 and 2 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 8 years in Jerusalem. And he walked in the way of the kings of Israel, like as did the house of Ahab. For he had the daughter of Ahab to wife, and he wrought that which was evil in the eyes of Yahweh. Obviously, this daughter of Ahab with a mother like Jezebel wasn't any better, and it ruined him too. In contrast, look at King Jotham, son of Uzziah. 2 Kings 15.33, five and twenty years old was he when he began to reign, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. And his mother na- mother's name was Jerusha and the daughter of Zadok. Zadok, high priest, and he did that which was right in the sight of Yahweh. He did according to all that his father Uzziah had done, except he didn't remove the high places. He almost had it. He almost had it right on the level of Hezekiah, Josiah. He almost had it, but he didn't take down those blasted high places. What was the high places, anyway? They were open-air platforms, or shrines where they worshipped Yahweh before the temple was made. But they also worshipped the heathen deities. Solomon built a high place for worship of Kamosh, the deity of the Moabites. Jotham was three, his grandfather being Zadok, the high priest, who anointed Solomon king. I have little doubt that made a big impact. Wives are a powerful influence on a husband. Look at the concubines. You read about it in 1 Kings 11 if you don't know the story, but they sure turned his heart. The most 
intelligent man on earth got twisted up. That's the power. That's the power of influence. He got twisted up. (laughs) How does that happen? Well, when you're not fully engaged with Yahweh, it can happen. One of the best things you can be is an example for righteousness. 1 Timothy 4.12, Paul is telling the young Timothy, let no man despise your youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Be an example. You have that ability. In all things, Titus 2.7 says, showing yourself a pattern of good works in doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, and sincerity. Some may wonder, what is my spiritual gift? We hit that on that topic quite a bit when we talk uh, baptism. Someone wants to know, you know, what is baptism all about? And we talk about the fruits of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit. Well, I don't know what kind of gift I have. I, I can't think of anything I can do. <laughs> There's a lot you can do. And I say, even if you don't have any special gift, there is the gift of being able to listen. Just listen when people come to you with their problems. We get it quite a bit. People call us, and they got problems like you wouldn't believe. Sometimes you do don't have an answer, but all you can really say is, I understand. And that's all they want. That's all they need. They want to talk it out. So, you know, it's, it's good to have gifts like that or just being there, being there for them. A lot of people would hang up, say, I, I can't handle this, you know. But being there for in conversation and charity and spirit and faith and purity. One type of gift could be your example in living. Just in the way you apply Yahweh's word. That's a gift. For many, it can be a powerful gift. When Yahweh calls, you want to live the truth. Your example in life. In a way, you can be a leadership example as well to all you come in contact with, your family, friends, co-workers. You can be uh, a very influential aspect there. You can do this by being firm and resolute. You can be focused, principled. And every day you're showing that and they're watching You'll soon find people drawn to you for advice and guidance. They don't want the, the, the uh, goofball in the office. They don't go to him with their problems. They go with someone who's got some sense, someone who takes life seriously and lives their faith. That's what they want, and that can be a gift. You don't have to be able to play an instrument. That's nice. I wish I could. Or you know, be able to stand up and speak or to write. There's a lot of things you can be, a lot of gifts that Yahweh can give you. And you'll find it. I often say, well, we didn't know we even had any music talent in this assembly. We used to play karaoke for I don't know how many years. It was a long time. Until someone came with some musical talent and showed some of the brethren how to play, and wow, the rest is history. We didn't know that. A lot of people don't know what their gift might be, but it can be Something you already have in Yahweh enhances it. Could be whatever he needs. But it's for the edifying of the assembly. 
As leadership goes, so go the, the people. Proverbs 29, 12 says, if a ruler hearkens to lies, all his servants are wicked. Boy, if that doesn't sound like today's age, doesn't it? Sounds like some things we hear in the news. Anyway, be that as it may, Yahweh will work it out eventually. But anyway, so the question is, who is your leader? Is it a man or almighty Yahweh? Think on that as we, uh, as we go through life. Who is your leader? Who do you want to follow? I always tell people, I'd like to follow Yahshua and all he said and all he did. Because he's the judge that I'm going to have to face one day. Or I'm facing it now if I'm being judged now. He's the one I'm concerned about. As well as those I love as well. And the Father especially. May Yahweh bless you.